0: on the Google Play or App Store, or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today.
1: Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Check engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE-certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto parts!
0: Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark
2: Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 131. Today in the show, we're joined by Donnie Vincent, an incredible hunter and filmmaker, and we're discussing everything from his recent whitetail hunts to how to have conversations about hunting dealing with opposing viewpoints, and so much more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today on the show, we're joined by Donnie Vincent. And way back in 2014, we had Donnie on the show with us, but if you missed that one or somehow don't know who Donnie is, you know he is a super serious hunter and a filmmaker, and that's probably what he's most known for right now. He's produced some of the most impressive hunting films in recent years, such as The River's Divide, Terra Nova, and a short film called Who We Are, uh, which kind of spoke to kind of this answering that question of why we hunt, and that video kind of went massively viral across not just the hunting world but the non-hunting world too and got a lot of non-hunters to kind of look at what we do as hunters maybe a little bit differently. So Donnie's been doing some really cool things and recently he's been doing a lot of whitetail hunting too. So we're going to have him on the show with us today to talk a little bit about how the whitetail hunting has been going this year, what he's been doing, what's been working, what he's learned and then, you know, if we have time, we might even dive into some of these bigger picture topics related to some of the themes of some of his work and some of these films, maybe talk about what's next, and uh, some interesting stuff like that. So before all that, though, me and Dan, we probably have some updates that are worth sharing too, right, Dan?
3: Um, maybe I
2: maybe. might do you? Um, <laughs> you want you want to hear a,
3: you want to hear kind of a funny story? I'd love to hear a funny story. All right, so the other day, right? This has nothing to do with hunting at all. Okay, I'm not, so, not surprised. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> the other day, um, I had to take my wife, or my wife, I had to take my daughter to gymnastics because her ride that she usually goes with, um, that lady and her kids were, were sick, so I had to take my daughter into gymnastics. And gymnastics at 11 o'clock is usually, you know, there's a room full of soccer moms, not guys who look like they just got done like chopping down a tree. Right. So right before that, they get to go in and uh, play around in this big gymnastics, gymnastics equipment, um, jump on trampolines and before the actually class starts. So I let my daughter go in first and I went to the restroom and then I walked in like maybe five minutes after her. And I kind of walked into this corner where all of the kids were, we're at, and Ava was jumping on this trampoline, and I wanted to send a picture to my mom and my dad, so I pull out my phone, and I, I start, like, taking pictures of my daughter, and this lady comes up to me and is like, <laughs> uh, like, who are you, and what are you, because I'm wearing, like, this seed corn hat, like a dirty hooded sweatshirt, oh. uh, big old red beard, <laughs> Looks like I just just got done uh, crawling out from under a bridge yeah so I got a kick out of that
2: she's like that's my daughter she's like oh okay I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> oh Dan you you totally got called out for the creepy old man look right right it's like I, if I'm gonna steal a kid it's not gonna be my own daughter yeah <laughs> oh man I <I'm- laughs> It totally doesn't surprise me. Like if if I saw you like taking pictures of a bunch of kids and my child was in that group, I'd be kind of weirded out too. <laughs> yeah, don't blame you. Don't. God,
3: he's got he's got a really gross beard and he's an, he's an amputee. So I think uh, we
2: better call the police. God, it looks like that guy dropped the hammer on his on his face. Maybe. <laughs> I still we still joke about that. Me and Corey still laugh about your dropping the hammer on your drop the hammer on your you Fu know, Manchu. I haven't dropped the hammer in a long time. It's I been know. like three years. I know. You got to bring that back. Should I drop the hammer for the ATA show? You absolutely should. Although it might not be good for business, but. Uh, probably not. But maybe people but, will have respect for <laughs> just the, the gonads it takes to rock that.
3: But when have I really made good decisions in life? Very, you know what I mean? Very it's rarely. Like, why start now?
2: <laughs> Stay consistent, Dan. Exactly. Stay consistent. Exactly.
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> So what's up with you, man?
2: I've got one big interesting thing to talk about. Okay. She's fine. You finally got your wife pregnant. (laughs) No. No. Okay. No. This is, this is hunting related. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. No baby news yet. Okay. Uh, But I got trail camera pictures of Holyfield. uh, Boom. Day before yesterday. Nice. So he's alive. And for the last, I got, I got pictures of him on the 26th of November and then nothing for 10 days, and then boom, he's back. But I don't know. Something happened um, in between that period of time. I think it was probably after I didn't get pictures of him on November 26th, or after that period, You know, like I said, a week passed, eight days, nine days, ten days. And over the period of that time, I kind of came to like, I, for whatever reason, I just thought he was dead. I just thought, I just thought the hunt was done. For whatever reason, right. I just had this feeling that it just felt like it was done. Um, so I kind of like come to terms with that. And it kind of like in some way, I don't know why I did this because, it, you know, there's no reason why he couldn't have disappeared for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 days and then been back, of course. But right. I just had this feeling. So I kind of come to terms with all that blah, blah, blah. Well, when he shows back up and he's alive, I felt differently about hunting him. And I can't explain it, um, but I've started asking the question of do I even want to try to kill him now? Mm. And I know this is like crazy, and I, I I wrote an article about this yesterday on the website, and I think half the people kind of get where I'm coming from, and half people think I'm crazy and are rolling their eyes, um, and like and I I don't know it, I'm like strangely conflicted, um, but but I guess let me explain kind of my thought process on this, Dan, and I, I'm curious to hear what you think. Yep. So, you know, I saw this deer last year. I passed him now this year i've been like obsessively hunting him he's been like Mm -hmm. the buck i've wanted to kill i've seen him 20 times literally 20 times with my own eyes now and so many pictures and we've talked about him so many times and i've written so many articles and i have so much video of him um and it's been this incredible hunt and experience and getting to know this deer and chasing this deer and like i mean to be my wife has been a little maybe um fed up with how obsessed i've been with hunting this (laughs) deer and uh, i guess for good reason because i'm like i'm always talking about it or i'm going to try to see him you know going to scout because i can do that even when i can't hunt i can get to spots where i can see that area sometimes um but he made it all the way through october he made it through the rut he made it through the firearm season and now it's like december 7th or 6th or whatever it is now and now I'm like looking at this and I'm saying, wow, like he really could make it through the end of the year. Like now all of a sudden it seems like it's not guaranteed by any means, but more so than before, it seems possible that he could make it to the new year. Um, and I, for whatever reason, I just started thinking about like those possibilities. Like, oh, how cool would it be to know he was still around here and to look for his sheds and to see what he might be as five years old and to have a third year of this, you know, this journey that I've been on. And I don't know why, why like the switch all of a sudden flipped for me, but it did, and like now I've been thinking about that more, and I like I don't like for all, the weeks and months of September and October and November, I had this like all-consuming drive to hunt this deer and to try to kill him. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel that way anymore. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if I if I was sitting there and I saw him. I don't know what I would do. Like, I'm just, I'm really conflicted because one part of me is saying all these things I've just been saying. And the other side of me says, this was your number one goal going into the season. You put so much time, so much energy into all of this. And of course, you know, I want to hunt and kill this deer. Um, so, you know, why would you turn down the potential chance to do that when it finally, if it, if it, this is no guarantee, but if it were to come, um. Right. And even if I decide to pass him, there's no guarantee at all that he'll make it to next year. I'd like to think he might, but that's no guarantee. There still could be someone could hunt him. Um, he could die over the winter. He could get hit by a car. I know the all these things are possible. I know there's no guarantees. Um, but I don't know. I just am having this weird, strange, conflicting set of feelings now. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's all I got what do you think what what am i man I've ha, i i can honestly
3: say that i've been down that same path uh, as far as thought is concerned um you your story with holyfield sounds a little bit like my story with shipwrecking away right it's like what what, what am i going to do if i actually get him in shooting range uh this buck has been an obsession of mine he's been he, he's a, you know a particular buck that a, that has changed the way I actually hunt. Right. Right. Who has influenced this animal influenced me as a bow hunter. And you know, it's like you owe that, that buck something, but you've also, you also mentioned the word journey, right? Yes. And you know, this, you know, watching this buck grow is, is is like a journey, but just so you know, journeys come to an end, man, whether you finish the, that journey, or you turn around and go home, or you just stop. There's an ending point, and I feel that you need to be the person that finishes that journey, and not somebody else. You know, you're you're talking about a whole bunch of what ifs at the end of the season, right? He's on your hit list this year, and next year, I mean, he could he could get hit by a car, he could get killed yet by another hunter, he could move to another property he could die at winter you know there's so many what ifs things that happen that you know as a hunter you also have to take into consideration what your best odds of harvesting that animal are and now is better than tomorrow you know what I mean
2: yeah yeah no I hear you and I mean all those same things are in my head too right um something you said though I wonder if this maybe could be part of what has changed some of my feelings is, is you mentioned the fact that all journeys have an end. And I think because I had, for whatever reason thought the journey had come to an end, I like came to terms with that. I came to terms with the idea of this journey ending and me not being the one to end it. And I was okay with that. And I was like, you know what? This has been such an incredible hunt over the two years, getting to know this deer, see this deer, learn from this deer. And I was like, okay with that. And maybe that's why now I'm, okay with the idea of trying to extend that journey still knowing I may not end it um just with the hopes of maybe continuing it um I don't know I mean I know I sound crazy I know there's probably 50 or 80 percent of people listening to me that think I'm an idiot um I can't explain it myself um but I think there's a
3: spiritual there's a spiritual side to things man and it's not it doesn't there's a lot of there's a lot of hunters out there, even some that are listening to this podcast who right now are saying, man, you're effing crazy. If you think I would pass up that buck at, you know, I'm not going to you're an animal lover, too, Mark. I am. Not, hunters are not just killers. You know, Absolutely. C- there's there's for me, there's also a spiritual side, like there's plenty of times even this season that I went out saying, OK, well, I'm going to kill a doe tonight and then sat in a tree and didn't feel like killing a doe, you know, just sat there and watched them, maybe waited for a buck to pop out or, you know, just whatever, or just sit and observe nature, yeah. observe the animals that you love. But, and you know, and the only person you have to answer to is yourself. So what I say and what everybody else say doesn't
2: matter. And that's, and and no uh, disrespect to anyone who shared their opinion with me, but I, you know, from the get go, when I, when I decided to kind of share these feelings, I know there'd be, I knew there'd be lots of opinions on it. And I just, you know, this is a decision and something that has to come down to how I feel about the situation, you know? So I'm, this isn't anything, I'm not polling the audience to see what they think I should do. And then I'm going to do that. This is like a personal decision. Um, of course. And, uh you know i'm going to just kind of personally work through it i mean what a privilege yep. it is to just even have the opportunity to think about that to to and again you know i haven't had the chance to actually pass on him yet so you know i might never have that chance and maybe i won't even you know get close enough to shoot him anyways but um but it's something i've just started to think about and um, can i can yeah. i ask
3: you a question you sure can is this a subconscious accepting failure Like subconsciously, you're like, well, if I haven't killed him now, I'm not going to kill him. So I'm just going to come up with some and and don't take this the wrong way, but come
2: up with an excuse of why not to kill him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I had someone else make a comment like that on Facebook, too. And, you know, take this however you want. But I I 100 percent don't view it that way at all, because I think I have my very best chance to kill him right now. Mm -hmm. I think I can. I I would bet. $500. I'd put $500 on the line that I could kill that buck before the end of the season because he is still here. He's still using the same area, but I haven't hunted in three weeks. I've left this place completely untouched except for pictures. And the only really good late season food now is right on my property. And I know now the significant portion of other hunters are not hunting. I have uh, based on some other things I know, I know there's reduced pressure even more than there was before. Um, so yeah, I can't guarantee anything. Of course he could still get killed by someone else. There's all these other things. I know that, but I think there's a very, very high percentage chance. I could get a shot at him with a firearm because I've got our muzzleloader season right now and I could go out there with my muzzleloader and I think I could get a, I have a very good chance of getting a shot at him. I could have killed him with a muzzleloader twice last week, um, or whenever it was November 22nd and 23rd. um, so, so that said, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, that's not what this is at all. Um,
3: right. for so why don't you go out, why don't you go out and hunt and well, make, make the decision at, at the time, like go out, hunt, do everything like you normally do. Get him, if he steps out, put him right in your scope and then ask yourself the question, man, is this what
2: I want to do? And I think that's, that, that is what I'm going to do. I've, I've kind of decided I'm, I'm still going to hunt. I'm still going to go out there. Um, I think what I am going to do, though, and this is at least where I'm kind of at right now, is I think I'm just going to take the bow out. Yeah. And that's going to be kind of my little way of, of letting fate be the determiner. Um, I'm going to put myself in a good position, and I'm going to hunt on the right days and the right spots, and I'm going to take that bow. And if he comes within bow range for the first time this year and I have a chance, I think that's you know a greater power saying, okay, it's it's time. Um If not, then, you know, I've had an incredible hunt for this guy, and hopefully it continues next year. Um, But I don't know. I I just feel like if I'm already having these doubts about killing him, shooting him at 150 yards with my muzzleloader seems like a little lackluster. um, Right. If I'm already, like, having these doubts. That's honorable. That's honorable. So I don't know, man. I mean, I, I completely understand that most people probably would not understand why I'm saying these things. Mm-hmm. because I don't 100% understand it. But that's just kind of where I'm at. That's how I'm feeling. Right. And it's my hunt. And when it comes right down to it, whether or not I kill him is okay. If it doesn't happen, that's okay. Right? Um, it's been a heck of a journey. And I just kind of like the idea of thinking that journey might continue. Hey, Yeah, that's okay with me, man. And maybe I'll kill him tomorrow night. Maybe. Because I'm going back out tomorrow night for the first time to hunt this spot where I've got pictures of him. Mm-hmm. I haven't hunted there in a month, and um, he's been there in daylight twice recently. So we've got good cold weather. I've got a good chance, I think, a a decent chance at least. So uh, who knows? If he's there at 20 yards and uh, the blood's boiling and and I'm pumped and it feels right, we might bring it into the story now. Or maybe two months from now, I'll be looking for his sheds, and we'll be talking about the same deer, and everyone will be rolling their eyes and sick of hearing about Holyfield. (laughs) <laughs> so who knows yeah, but buddy i appreciate you hearing me out and uh and and not calling me crazy
3: well i'm calling i'm calling you a little crazy <laughs> okay
2: <laughs> okay that's fair that's fair because i i probably am a little crazy but we all are we all are so i suppose with that we should wrap this up because we're a little bit late in calling donnie um so let's wrap this part up, let's take a quick break to thank our partners at Sitka Gear, and then we will give Donnie Vincent a call. So, as I mentioned, we need to thank our partners at Sitka Gear for their support of this podcast. And our Sitka story today comes from Brock Bolt of Wisconsin. And this year, he did something that I've been personally trying to do, as we've just been discussing, which is hunting and finally killing a buck he'd been after for several years. And after multiple past encounters and tons of pictures, Finally this fall, a shot presented itself, and Brock closed the deal. These incredible memories were made by Brock while wearing his Sitka gear. And if you'd like to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel for whitetail hunters, you can visit sitkagear.com. And now, let's get back to the show. All right, with us now on the line is Donnie Vincent. Welcome back to the show, Donnie.
4: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. appreciate you guys taking the time to talk with me.
2: Oh, absolutely. Same, same to you. We, uh, we really enjoyed talking with you. Man, I think it was almost two years ago now. So it's uh, it's exciting to be able to circle back and catch up on stuff. And and you've been pretty busy since then, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, really. Two years—it's been that long. I think so. I think that was two thousand fourteen. Yeah.
4: Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yes, things have. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think things have progressed quite a bit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So so since that point, I mean, I think when we were talking last. You know, the Rivers Divide had been out for a year. I think we talked about that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But since then, you know, what have you been doing with your films, or or otherwise? You know, what's what's new with Donnie Vincent?
4: Um, there's a lot to be honest with you, and and you know, for what we're working on uh, film-wise, um, you know, has has not really been done. Um, before, not really in the way that we're doing it. And so, the model of business, the model of how to make this work, there isn't a recipe to follow or somebody to to um, to piggyback off of. So we we you know things. I, I swear our business plan or our mindset probably evolves weekly, if not monthly, certainly <laughs> annually. So a lot of a lot of things have been going on, and and uh, right now I've been fielding what seems like hundreds of death threats. Whether I I better come out with a new film or else. <laughs> yeah.
3: So good death kind of
4: Funny, I, Yeah. I, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. I'm uh, of course being facetious, but I just had a guy write me a letter uh, the other day and it, it made me chuckle. And it, it was, he wrote it in sincere fashion, but he said, Hey, we, so we can buy t-shirts now. That's great. And we can buy um, metal prints or poster prints of some of your artwork and photography. And that is great. However, when will there be another film? And I said to, I said to my producer, Kyle, I said, it's really funny because I feel like in the, in the tone that this gentleman is writing, I feel like he lent me a million dollars to produce five films or something like that. And he's saying, hey, where's our next installment? But really, um, you know, the work is what I, I guess I think people feel owed, you know. And, and I don't feel like I owe anyone anything other than I really enjoy putting these films together and I really enjoy that people have enjoyed them. So it's, it's you know, it's uh, all around, it fits. But um, yeah, our, our, our model is indifferent, but we are working on a film right now that uh, is about bear hunting and we've been working on it now this last year and we're nearing the completion of it. So it's going to be coming out um late winter early spring probably late winter so um yeah man there's just been so much going on i can't even comment on the last two
2: years yeah that's incredible and and so you've been working on these films for you know whatever this next installment might be and then you were doing some stuff with discovery channel at one point right with their was it the seeker mm-hmm. network um mm-hmm. is, is yep. that still happening or what's new on that front
4: Yep. I, I still do. I still do work with seeker. Um, it has kind of, um, it has kind of backed off a little bit. It's it's basically the ball is in my court to produce as much or as little as I want. Originally. Uh, I don't think, uh, we draw the audience that discovery was anticipating. Um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to put this in a gentle fashion. Basically, you know, th- they work with content teams and and content individuals that are going to deliver work that they can sell advertising around. Right. That's right. That's that's their that's their main mode of operation. And so, everyone loved our work. Everyone loved uh, the quality of the work. Everyone loved the storytelling. Uh, but companies, they just have this impossible wall in front of them to get around the fact that we're hunters. It's amazing how quickly uh, the human population has progressed beyond being, being hunters in such a short time. And so these companies, it's not that the companies don't support it themselves. I've sat in the room with some of these, uh, you know, people that are driving these companies and, and uh, their, their directors that are their director of marketing and, and they love it. They love the idea. They're just so nervous about their uh, customer that they, they just kind of stay away. And so uh, I still work with those guys. I still talk with those guys quite a bit, but it falls, falls into however much or however little I want to work towards it. So.
3: So something similar to what happened with this whole spear hunting and under armor thing, right?
4: Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I guess hunters, and I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to split my own throat, but hunters love to, uh, you know, a, a lot of hunters love to go looking for a fight. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to propel that at all. I'd much rather than go looking for a fight. I'd much rather hunt ethically and hunt with conservation and, and population and age dynamics and habitat reconstruction in my mind than I would, to just go out and spear a bear or do something that is going to ride that line, attract a lot of attention and make people um, get their dander up. You know what I mean?
2: Right. Definitely. How, how, what kind of, I mean, when you mentioned the fact that, you know, so many people have moved away from hunting, such a significant portion of our population is so very disconnected from nature that then, Hunting seems even farther beyond that. Um, It's so foreign for so many people. But at the same time, there does seem to be this resurgence in a certain segment of the population of interest in kind of going back to our roots in a certain way. And I imagine with some of your work and your films, especially something like Who We Are, um, which I think speaks to some of these reasons why we hunt that maybe don't seem as apparent to non-hunters when they look at their stereotypical hunter. Um, what kind of reaction did you get from that film? And did that change your opinion at all about how the outside world sees hunting?
4: Um, Well, first of all, kind of looking back a little bit at the transition
2: of when
4: most people were hunters, and I'm not talking about original human societies where everyone, literally all of us, everyone coming from these original 31 societies um, where, where everyone was hunters and gatherers. After that, as people kind of started to mitigate through time and um, uh, our world started to become mechanized, Um, people started to have the ability of going to the grocery store to get things for breakfast and lunch and dinner. People didn't have to um, be responsible with their lands and be responsible with their bow or with their rifle to provide for themselves. As, as things started to get provided for us, this, laziness if you will just kind of perpetuated into some of the modern day people today they, they people have this great disconnect with killing an animal it's if you if you take a step back as a hunter it's not that difficult to see their disdain right you're taking a, an amazing animal's life you are the executioner you yeah. are taking this animal's life Potentially for your saltish gains, you know. Especially some people get confused about quote-unquote trophy hunting. They say, "Oh my God, you are killing that deer or that elk and just cutting that head off and going home with the head." People don't realize that that really doesn't happen anymore, or if it ever even really did happen beyond, um, you know, the massacres of buffalo, if you will. So, um, as people, as as our lives became more and more mechanized, as our lives became easier and easier to um, maintain and to get our food and to have a shelter and to provide warmth for ourselves. It just kind of perpetuated into this human being that now um, has this disdain towards killing because they have the ability to go to the grocery store and, and they may stomp their foot and say that they're a vegetarian or they're a vegan, but still these are very new ideas in the human diet. These are, these are, are, are very short lived, um, I guess, you know, dietary decisions or call it philosophy decisions, whatever. Um, These things have not been along around very long. However, people stand on them hard and fast. And it's it's uh, it's there is a difficult group to talk to. However, I do think, you know, when we came out with who we are, um, much of the population responded uh, by you know, we're very pro the, the little short, if you will. I, I don't want to call it a film, but, pe- you know, hunters were, of course, all for it. People who understood factory farming and that there's a better way to get our food and that this is a more of a connected way to get our food. They understood it. Um, people who were undecided, they, while they maybe didn't pick a side, uh, which I think is great, they definitely were encouraged to learn more about it or wanted to learn more about it. I've received, um, lots of letters of people that had had questions to, um, ask me about you know, is hunting sustainable for us all? We're approaching 9 billion people or 8 billion people on the earth. Um, can we all go hunting? Is there enough wildlife for us all? And of course there isn't. And, and there are, uh, issues that lie in there with human population. But I do think that the majority of people have, if they're not hunters themselves, have an understanding that this is um, who we are, this is where we've come from, and this is having a fantastic connection with your Mother Earth. This is us with the greatest barrier of entry, the greatest investment in getting our food and participating. It's not just getting our food, but it's participating with the wilds. It's taking the time to watch small birds. It's taking the time to watch geese fly over your head. It's, it's really enveloping yourself into the habitats that are around your home or that you travel to, to be part of. And there's just a very small population that I received letters from that were absolutely against this. And I don't want to judge them at all, but I will say this, their letters were borderline asinine. Their letters were borderline psychotic saying very aggressive things, um, wishing, hate and disgust on my family, um, saying things like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just go buy a mountain bike tomorrow and two chainsaws, and I'm going to ride around the woods with my two chainsaws, and I'm going to cut all the trees down, and I'm going to call it mountain bike chainsawing, and I'm going to create a new sport, just like you created the sport of hunting. And if, <laughs> if you actually look at, obviously this, obviously, this gentleman was very passionate about his argument, but obviously, if you sit back and look at his argument... It's almost complete nonsense one has nothing to do with the other. he is basically saying he's equating hunting and fishing to we go into wild places and just harvest 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 we literally if you if you if you've seen the if you've read the dr. Seuss uh, book about the 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 lorax you know yeah. the, the, this one slur is this creature that goes into the woods and creates this this item that he wants to sell to the population. There's so much connection in this story. We have this person who represents a population of people wants to go into the wilds to chop everything down, to harvest all the water, harvest, harvest all the trees, harvest everything that they can to create a product for the populations. And in doing so, you know, basically create a wasteland of the earth. And so that's what some of this very small population, I think that they're wrapping their heads around, uh, they're confusing killing of animals with murder. Uh, they're confusing animals. They're they're adding anthropomorphism with animals through all of our connections to Walt Disney, um, and and they just have went so far down the wrong path that their their argument is weightless and and like I said, borderline nonsense and and, and psychotic. And so it's a very small group. So again a long-winded answer i think the majority of people either support it or understand why we do it they they might they might not do it themselves or they might not um you know be on the front lines if you will but they definitely understand why we do it why we do it yeah,
2: yeah it seems like there like you said there's that small minority of your extreme anti-hunters who are not open to any other way of looking at things that, you know, there's nothing we can say or do that's going to make them feel differently. There's this much broader population of people who are kind of on the fence, they're kind of okay with it, but at the same time I think they're very easily influenced by some of the things that might pop up in the media by way of the anti-hunters or because of mistakes made by hunters that can be then easily used to to, uh, to support some of these arguments by anti-hunters about these different crazy theories that, of course, make no sense when you think about them logically. But when you put a picture of a dead lion in front of a headline, it seems appalling to people that grew up on The Lion King and Bambi and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think so much, though, mm-hmm. to understand what we do and to understand hunting, when you have none of that context, it's a really difficult thing to wrap your head around without thinking about it and without Mm-hmm. Under, without meeting people and talking about these types of things and and understanding everything that goes into it. So I feel like it's increasingly and I, I don't know, I I rant about this a lot, but I think it's increasingly important for us as hunters to you know participate in that discussion and to be positive represent, representatives of this hunting way of life and our community and what we do because um more and more if you if you mess up or if we do something that you know Obviously isn't what we want to be shown is what hunters are all about. That stuff can now be spread across the internet so quickly or used in propaganda mm-hmm. or whatever i mean it's it's that's, uh, I don't... That's,
4: that's exactly that's exactly what I mean let's kill the rumors let's kill the negativity let's kill the hard line of black and white where you're either for it or against it. Let's kill that by hunting ethically by um speaking clearly about our intentions with the habitat, our intentions with the wild places, our connections with the wild places. let us If you show them the engagement that you have with in the wild and you show them why you're there and you show them what you're doing and you're completely transparent and you're doing it with great ethics, the arguments just start to fall away. And like I said, then you reduce your population of naysayers down to people who are really never going to listen. And certainly I guess you should still take time to speak with them, but, um, you might not want to, you might not want to beat your, your head against the wall too bad. And like when people send me, if somebody sends me a letter and says, Hey, I'm a vegetarian. Who I can't really get over that hump of killing an animal. I can't really get over that hump of eating flesh or watching you eat flesh. I just, Um, can, can you maybe explain it to me a little bit more? Absolutely. I'm going to engage with him or her. We're going to have a conversation. This is a great opportunity for me to speak with them, not to persuade them just to enlighten them into what I do. They can make up their own mind. They're an articulate individual, but if, if, if we're, if we're engaging with the wrong audience, um, you, you just might, you just might fall flat on your face. So if somebody sends me a message saying I'm on a mountain bike with two chainsaws, I, uh, you know, I, I don't chuckle. It doesn't amuse me. I kind of roll my eyes and move on with my life. And I don't even think anything, you know, I don't, I don't even think twice about it, but in the same regard, um, you know, and I I would be interested to hear how you guys feel, but about this gentleman that speared this bear, uh, and then Under Armour, all these people attacking Under Armour because they, you know, because they drop them. Um, was it legal to spear the bear? Uh, I guess it was. I, I haven't really looked into it, but let's assume that it was legal to, to spear the bear. Was it ethical? Well, that's an entirely another question. And um, is that is that the message that we want to send to the people that are kind of on the fence or the people that are looking for more information? Is that is that what we're trying to represent? We now have modern weapons whether it be even traditional weapons of longbows, recurve bows, compound bows, crossbows, high-powered rifles, black powder, shotguns, all of these things are incredibly lethal. Um, Why not choose something that is insanely lethal and is going to make it quick and ethical right off the bat than challenging the, hmm, I wonder if this spear is going to do it. I'm going to sit on the ground and spear a bear over bait, and I wonder if this spear is going to do it and, and then create some controversy. I just, that's, that's the realm that I don't quite understand.
2: Yeah. It's
3: to play, to play devil's advocate, uh, just a second, Donnie, if it, it, with a, maybe a thought process like that, then I guess, why are we even bow hunting? If there is another weapon like a rifle or a shotgun that is maybe more accurate and more, uh, potentially deadly than, all the things that could possibly go wrong with uh, with a bow. Well,
4: I, I guess um, I guess that is I guess the 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 uh, the bow is definitely a uh, more challenging weapon, if you will, because you have to close the distance. But I don't know if I I don't know if you could make the argument on lethality with a bullet versus a broadhead. Uh, I right. think that would be a tough argument to to uh, make for in, in either case, either way. And so. Um, I see it as more of a distance thing and, um, and, uh, and a hunting tactic thing than I, than I do, than I do anything. Again, uh, you know, there are hundreds of animals, uh, killed all over the world by spear every single year, uh, by Aboriginal tribes. And, um, absolutely. I'm just saying in, in, I wonder if bringing it to the mainstream and airing it out and, Uh, challenging people is, is the best message for us. That's, that's, that's all I'm, I'm curious about.
2: Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of, a lot of the things you mentioned there are right for us to be concerned about and thinking about, in my opinion. Um, Though I I see what you're saying too, Dan, and it's, it, I think something kind of popped into my head kind of related to what you're mentioning earlier, Donnie, with some people you can engage with, some people you just simply can't. I think it's good, and necessary that we have conversations like this both within the hunting community and outside of it. Um, you know, yes, something's legal, but is it the right choice for us as a hunting community moving forward? And there's, we often talk about this. There's this, um, there's two different ways. Sometimes these types of things go. There's where we get into a spat about our different opinions on how to hunt or something like that. More. One guy says, you know, Ah, if you're using a crossbow, you're a, you're a wuss and you're not really a hunter. And then so-and-so says, well, that's the only way to hunt, blah, blah. So there's some people that like to argue about the different semantics of hunting. And then there's the other side that mm-hmm. gets, that gets mad at you if you have a different opinion, because then they say, ah, mm-hmm. oh, you're tearing down the hunting community. You should never question anything. If it's legal, support them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that either one of those two isn't very productive. I wish that more often, whether it be within the hunting type of conversation or just in the world, like when you're talking about politics or differences of opinion or anything, I think there's a serious um, uh, deficit of logical, reasonable, open-minded conversation Um, and being able to have an open mind to different ways of looking at the world. I've just become increasingly frustrated over the this past year, really, I mean, when it comes to all these things with politics lately, and then also when we talk about stuff like this in the hunting world, um, gosh, why can't we just talk about this stuff? And I think more and more so within the hunting world, we need to be willing to talk about these things and examine ourselves as hunters, because if we don't, and if things like the Under Armour thing happen more often, whether you think it's right or not what he did, if we have those bad PR type things when it comes to hunting, the more and more that happens, the greater chance I think there are for knee-jerk reactions to happen by the general public that damage our long-term privileges as hunters. Um, So I hope we can at least open ourselves up as a hunting community to talk about this stuff and to at least be open to thinking about these things. Is this the right thing for us moving forward? And then be open to the different opinions on it.
1: I agree.
4: I agree. People, um, I think, more often than not love to enter an argument with uh, their mind made up or you know perception that they are correct and uh that's that's exactly what i'm referring to i don't know there are so many variables um that we don't even know about right like like, let's say this gentleman with the with the spear and the bear there are so many variables that we don't even know about yet we see um one one whiplash we see under armor making a business decision and reacting to the negativity i'm I'm guessing the negative uh comments on probably this gentleman or his wife's video uh so you see under armor making a a a quick uh decision and then you see the whole rest of the world right people are sending me videos of them burning their under armor gear and and then you have that backlash over there but really no one is like you said no one is talking about you know the ins and outs of of um I, uh, I guess why he speared the bear, or why bear hunt that manner, or um, you know, if it's if it's legal and ethical, <clears throat> is it? You know, do we do we just support it regardless? And there's many many tactics of hunting that I have no interest in participating in myself. But um, I, I either I, I'm not going to denounce them if they're legal, but I'm probably not going to talk about them if I'm not in in support of them. Cause I, am certainly not the type that just blindly supports if it's for hunting and it's pro hunting, then I'm going to support it no matter what. Uh, I'd, I'd much rather have the most information possible and make up my own mind.
2: Yeah. Right. There was a, uh, they actually kind of interesting We bring this up. There's a kind of a situation like this on Facebook right now, which I think I should just shut down Facebook and not look at stuff on there anymore because it <laughs> just endlessly mm-hmm. frustrates me. Um, but, Mm-hmm. Somebody posted a picture of a deer they would shot to some group message board or whatever, and they had shot this deer in the head and blew off okay. its blew off its mouth. Um, mm-hmm. And this hunter was, and, killed, and
4: killed it and killed, killed it.
2: it. Yep, killed it. So he had the picture yep. of him holding the deer with its face blown off, and he was a super happy hunter about it. And then you had mm-hmm. you know you had the two sides of the argument and then just go off in the thread here where you've got one side that says, congrats, you know, it was a legal kill and nothing wrong with it. And then you had one mm-hmm. side that said, how unethical or how, you know, this is, you know, there's some serious concerns with this type of thing, thinking that's okay. And then you've got these people saying, well, any shot's a good shot. And there's all the different things that might come up within that type of topic. I just read through this and it just it just saddened me, I think, just seeing the, A, the vitriol, and then also, then the unwillingness to think about the ethics of something like this, or to think about the ramifications of that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. The whole thing just mm-hmm. kind of put me in a bummer of a mood, and um, mm-hmm. I worry about that stuff a lot. Just the ramifications. Yeah, it's, of that kind it's of
4: going thing. to be. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, if, if, if there is a downfall beyond the complete implosion of Earth uh, through overpopulation and, and just, uh, habitat destruction. If there's, if, if, if it doesn't go that route, um, and we have to make decisions on hunting in the, in the future, I mean, it's, it's things like social media and, uh, it's going to be our, our, our downfall, you know, it's going to be our, it's you know, it spreads it spreads the negative message and it gives anyone with a keyboard a voice and anything can be toted as a fact. Anyone can give their, anyone can spin it however they want uh, and, and photos like that, you know, who knows? You know, that's, a, a, you know, I, I myself guard my comments. I mean, listen to me even speaking. I myself guard my comments because I don't want to field 10,000 emails tomorrow saying it's my god-given right to shoot a deer in the head when i i you know i i may have my own opinions of it you know and 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 we you know it it, it's everything is spun everything is spun and and it's really tough to make uh it's really tough to make a decision and you know back in the day um let's call it 1960 if you will and you and i are um you know you drive your car over to my farm and and we're going to, you and I are going to still hunt my farm, and then we're going to go over and still hunt your farm. And you and I are still hunting along our field edge. And, uh, you know, a, a big door, big buck jumps up and starts running and you and I pull up, we take a running shot and one of us is off and hits the animal in the head and drops it in its tracks or, uh, you know, something along that fashion. We, you know, we go up, there, <clears throat> we walk up to it. If it's not dead, we dispatch it as quickly as possible. If it is dead, um, you know, we, we pr- probably shake hands, grab a front leg, drag it back to the barn, skin it out with not even thinking twice about it. And obviously that wasn't the intended goal to shoot it in the head, but you know, it's, it's what happened when we were hunting together and we skin it out and split the meat and, you know, and, and we go on our merry way. Well, that, that completely changes when you post a photo to the world of this deer that is, um, you know, that is, that is destroyed in such a way or, or has been hit in such a way. It's just shocking for people. If anyone has any trepidation about it, their, their, their argument can really quickly be pushed the other direction when they see a deer that's been shot in the head really, really quickly. And, uh, and so times have changed, you know, and, and it's, we have to be, I want to say we have to be careful because I I don't want people to censor their opinions and the things that they do. I just want to be honest with themselves and honestly, the way they go about things, if this guy went hunting and he wanted deer meat and, you know, I think needed deer meat, it's probably a very select few people, but wanted deer meat and this deer presented a shot of its head and this gentleman felt like he could make that shot and that was a shot he wanted to take, I don't know, it's not a shot that I would take, I'll tell you that,
2: yeah. not unless no, I'm starving. And I'm not passing judgment on, on what he did, because to your point, it, I would have done something different. But you know, you mm-hmm. don't know the circumstances. You don't know, and I don't know all the details either. But it, I think it, it just raised. Looking at all the various comments and opinions, and there's just all there were all sorts of things mixed in there that uh, make you kind of just, I don't know. Can, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just frustrates you a little. But sorry, Dan, what were you gonna say?
3: I was just gonna say, Donnie. You know, at, throughout my entire life. I've been taught that, you know, communication is a two-way street. You know, we have to do our best to try to communicate with them and they have to try to do their best uh, to try to communicate with us. How important is it, you know, in seeing what you do, you are doing your best to try to put hunting in a positive light and maybe showcase how it's supposed to be done and how you do it, the, you know, the, kind of the right way to explain to maybe uh, people who are not Either pro hunting or, or maybe do or don't support it, but are non hunters, um, kind of that light, how important is it for us as hunters to then see things from their point of view? If we're asking them to see things from our point of view.
4: Yeah. And Dan, just so you know, like when I put together my films or our films, I should say, um, I'm, I'm obviously on the camera, but there's a lot of guys working on these things together. But when we put together our films, it's not to show I'm not showing hunters how it should be done. I'm not showing hunters the correct way that it should be done. I'm not showing hunters that I think I'm a better or uh, more successful hunter than they are. I'm showing the way that I enjoy hunting. This is how I right. enjoy hunting. These are the things that I enjoy to see and talk about. And so I'm just putting forth um, what what how I feel about hunting. And then uh, people are open to interpret it themselves and and literally, uh, you know, the first time I wrote The River's Divide, I was writing um, the script, if you will, the voiceovers. And I wrote it and handed it to Kyle. And he's like, mm, no, you're writing it for TV. And I said, oh, well, I, you know, I'm kind of trying to tread lightly. He's like, don't let's not tread lightly. Just be honest. Let's just talk about. Let's talk about how you are saddened when you kill, when you kill an animal. And so I thought, screw it. All right whatever I'm doing it. I'm, I have nothing to lose from this. I'm putting it out there and just started hunting. I just started portraying hunting and hunting on film the way that I hunt when I'm not on film and the way I act and speak when, when I'm not on film. And so I just try to do it honest to myself and everything else can fall by the wayside. Like this, this new film that we're coming out with is about my journey as a bear hunter. Cause I have evolved as a bear hunter And, um, and, and we can talk more about that later, but I do think it's important that we sit down and listen to their viewpoints and, um, try to look at things through, through their lenses, if you will. And, and understand that's, that's what I'm saying. Like if you actually take a step back, it is not that difficult to think about, um, how violent and how upsetting it can be to shoot a deer maybe a little bit less if it's a duck or something like that, because um, it just seems like the larger the animal, uh, the bigger the brain, it seems like it has the more impact on us, the more we relate to it. so I definitely, I definitely think it, and I feel it myself when, when I'm sitting in a tree and I see a big mature doe headed my way and she's walking right down the path, she's going to come within the distance of my bow or my gun uh, one of the reasons my heart starts beating out of my chest um, is this this decision that I'm about to make is a one-way street. She, If she walks past me and I make the decision, she dies today, right now. Uh, she doesn't know she's going to die. She's just walking down this trail. I know she's going to die. And that is overwhelming. It's very, very heavy for me. And it's a really big decision when I move forward with pulling the trigger or releasing my arrow and so um i feel like i already I, I feel like i already understand the other side a little bit the only thing that i don't understand is this big these there's many things that i don't understand with their argument um if, if we're describing them as sides but one of the biggest of uh, some of the elements of their argument that i fail to see are when people are making what, what I believe to be really silly decisions with, you know, um, um, you know, having, having birth control amongst deer or, or protecting deer from hunters because people think if we don't kill them, if we don't kill some of these animals, in this population, then this population, this habitat, this wild area is going to perpetuate into a perfect balance, right? If we leave this 40 acre woods alone, it is going to perpetuate into Walt Disney. It's going to perpetuate into the perfect 40 acres. Nothing could be further from the truth. All of these animals, whether it be a gray squirrel, whether it be the non-indigenous buckthorn, whether it be the white-tailed deer, all of these animals are aggressively going to go after their habitat to go through their differential reproductive success. They want to reproduce. They want to be the biggest, strongest, most successful they can be so that they can have sex and produce offspring, whether it's a plant, whether it's an animal. They are going to go after the resource with absolute. Now, when we weren't here or we had limited numbers, these animals kind of kept each other in check and balances. Those days are long gone. Now we have to participate both in habitat reconstruction. We have to participate in selective harvest. We have to participate in bringing money into different economies so that animals have um, a a worth to them to, to ward off poachers, to employ people to keep eyes on these populations to try to, to try to control this shrinking, right? This is shrinking. No way, no other way to look at it unless we have a catastrophic die off of the human population. There's one thing that that's, we cannot argue is that we are burning through our habitat. We are burning through our earth faster than any other species. That is the only thing that you can't argue.
2: Yeah, and that's something that keeps me up a lot, thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah, <sighs> Man, there's, there's a lot of things here kind of within this whole larger topic that uh, <laughs> keep me up at night. Um,
4: and and, and to, to interrupt you quick, Mark, that's why, and as silly as this sounds, That's why when I'm hunting or I'm talking into the camera or whatever it is, I just want to appreciate this moment right now. I have no idea what the next time is going to be like when I'm sitting in a tree or sneaking up on a mule deer or sitting in a ground blind or sneaking up on a water buffalo or whatever. I I, I just want to be super present when I'm hunting, when I'm fishing, when I'm even just outdoors scouting or just taking a walk with a friend. I want to be super present. And I want to appreciate the blue jay, the Connecticut warbler, the brook trout, the garter snake. I just, I just really, really, really reduce my interactions. I really reduce my mind down to just really appreciating all these simple things that are right in front of my face, and try not to get caught up in the, you know, this fit that we have to be successful.
2: Yeah, that's definitely one of my biggest um, oh qualms with myself. I guess is I, I am definitely guilty of sometimes getting so caught up in the you know I don't want I don't know what it is the hunt. I'm so consumed with trying to get that quote unquote success that sometimes I I forget to pay attention to the simple things and everything and in the greater why um, I constantly need to remind myself to to kind of step away from myself for a moment or from the actual task at hand to just remember why it is we're out here in the first place um and I think when you if you can do that a lot of things kind of fall into place naturally but it's easy these days with and I think we're as guilty as anyone sometimes just being in the media you know it's so easy to get consumed with trying to kill the next big deer or to do this mm-hmm. or that and post a picture. And mm-hmm. I mean, all these things, it's easy to get mm-hmm. worked up and caught up in that kind of stuff, but
4: and get this, get this ego food. I, I could not agree more. I was just talking to Kyle today, Colin Nicollet. And I thought,
1: <clears throat>
4: imagine if next year in the United States and not that I'm against them at all. I absolutely love them. In fact, but what if in the United States next year for a year, we just said absolutely no trail cameras, none, <laughs> you have to just go to the woods, climb in your tree stand, climb in your ground blind, or go sit behind your binoculars and glass the waterhole. If you're in Arizona, you have to sit there and glass the waterhole in morning and night to see if a giant muley is, is, is coming to take a drink or a desert bighorn's coming to take a drink. No trail cameras whatsoever. You just... I would be astounded if sportsmen and women... didn't go to the woods with with a heart that was a lot more full of the experience than when they go there with uh, looking for this deer to do this and get it on film and to get a picture of it, put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, whatever. We're all guilty of it. I just wonder um, if the enjoyment factor would go off the charts.
2: Yeah. It's an interesting question. I mean, It's so true. I mean, I'm I'm guilty of it too. I've become so all consumed in that kind of stuff, and it'd be very interesting to see because part of what I personally love about hunting, or one piece of it, is that journey. Sometimes you know, targeting one specific buck, like I am this year, Um, but then it's also like sometimes that it you lose something because of that. You lose all, the, it's almost like I found myself, you know, over the course of like October, and November, every hunt that didn't, you know, get me one step closer to killing this one buck. I, it was, I wasn't was enjoying or I found myself like upset. And I'm like, why? I, I shouldn't be upset about that or frustrated by this or not enjoying seeing a beautiful deer or having that experience or being out in nature and stuff. It, there definitely is that risk of, um, of losing some of those things that there's, there's some great things about trail cameras and, management and all that kind of stuff. But there's definitely risks that if you Mm -hmm. let that get out of hand, it can, uh, you can lose sight of some of the bigger things.
3: So almost like Mm -hmm. having a certain expectation going into the woods is ruining the overall experience Mm -hmm. of hunting.
4: Yeah. You're looking past the things that are just before you. Yep. You're looking past them. You're looking through the chain link fence instead of looking at it. And, and it's, it's something that I'm challenging uh, myself with, cause we all slip into it and uh, and creating films is my job now. And, uh, and so, you know, I slip into it too, but I've, I've come through this evolution. Like a lot of people are, you know, like we started our conversation out with a lot of people are saying, Hey man, when's the next film going to come out? We need the next film. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I don't owe anything to anyone. And I just want to produce the next film when it's honestly done. And when it's honest to who I am and, and what I am, and then I'll, I'll release it then. And and my my point is, I'm I'm just trying to pull myself, reel myself back in from the from the you know slipping into the exact same rat race. And I've actually been contemplating lately, um, doing quite a bit of hunting in the in the future here, where I pull my trail cameras back, um, still do the management. I still want to manage the land. I really enjoy adding the much needed bedding cover and food to the properties that I hunt for the deer squirrels pheasants turkeys snakes turtles everything I I really enjoy improving the habitat so I would still do that but then when I go hunting um, you know take a recurve uh, and uh, pull on my woolens and go take a recurve and and, um, and just take a step back and empty the backpack out and get rid of all the gadgets and this, that, and the other thing. And, and, uh, just try to clear my mind and enjoy the experience a little bit more.
0: When,
3: when you kind of watch these surfing films, you listen to these people talk about, uh, you know, find, trying to find the perfect ride or, you know, find the, the perfect wave and, and, and be caught in that quote unquote perfect moment are you kind of a purist when it comes to hunting and trying to find the, like the search for that perfect moment?
4: Yes. Yes. I, I, yes, I, I, um, it, yes, it falls in lines with, with like what, what you said, um, that gentleman shooting that deer in the head. I wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't I do that? That doesn't, that doesn't fit my bill of being a hunter that doesn't, Mine, not not a person that that as soon as that took place um that that interaction would be tainted for me and uh and that's not what I'm looking for I actually had a friend of mine this is when I first started hunting um I was calling in a turkey a big tom turkey and he was gobbling his head off and he was full strut and he was coming and uh something wasn't right he didn't like something and he wasn't really spooked but he came out of full strut and just kind of skirted the edge of the field and went down in the timber and i i had a shotgun with me and i jumped up and i ran down the ridge and i snuck around this oak tree and here he comes walking down this logging road maybe like 15 yards away from me and i just let him walk on by and later on i met up with my friend and he said yeah how was your morning i said oh man i had this big tom coming to me i'll never forget it it was a picked cornfield he was gobbling every step or every second step. I could see his big beard was just slapping against his chest. And um, I was sitting with my back to the east. And so the, the sun was just firing up his feathers. And I can I can see this as though I'm still sitting against that. I was sitting against a, a, a wood pile. I can still see this as though I was sitting against that wood pile. And he came down. And, and then I told him the story as just as I had just told you. Uh, and he said, why didn't you shoot him? And I said, I, he didn't do the deal. And he said, Man, you you read too many books and you watch too much TV. That's what he said. He said, You read too many books, you watch too you watch too much TV. I said, No, that's that's not at all. I just wanted him to do the deal. I wanted to trick him with my call to my decoy. I wanted the trout to go up and eat the fly. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I just you know, if, if if the trout goes up to eat the fly and and turns at the last second and I hook, hook the trout in the caudal fin and I reel him in not the same for me
1: it just isn't and
4: um you know i don't live in a cabin in northern alaska uh, 500 miles from a grocery store if i if i did and i needed a moose to make it through the winter for me and my family and a cow moose presented only her head to me uh on uh, in in a late october hunt you bet your ass i would shoot her in the head but that's not where i am right now and so my my personal degree of hunting success and my enjoyment comes with a, a set of standards, both ethical and, and heavy with conservation. It's just who I am.
2: Yeah. I think it's interesting. And I think a lot of us go through an evolution. We each have our own individual evolution as a hunter, I think. Um, and I think I'm, I'm getting to the point where I feel more and more like you do in those types of moments, Donnie, where, you know, for a long time, I was, I just want to kill a deer. And then I finally was able to do that consistently. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, all right, I want to kill, a mature deer or a bigger deer and then I've, I feel like I've proven I can do that And now now I'm like in this weird place where all of a sudden getting the kill I don't know I'm in a weird place where we were just talking before you joined us Donnie about how I've been after one buck this year um, and it's been for two years I've been after him and I've been hunting him and I've seen him 20 times and now I just found out he's still alive and I could take a muzzleloader out there and I actually just saw him recently in daylight and I think I could probably kill him with a gun and now I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to. Like, I don't know if I even if I, if I even want that hunt to come to an end this way. Um, and see? it's yeah, yeah. And I uh, it's just really interesting to have all these different feelings um, about the how and the why. Um, and if anything, I guess it just reminds me and, and brings home the fact that hunting is a very complicated, complex thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, it's,
4: and see, maybe that gentleman. Uh, Mark, maybe that gentleman with the spear maybe that maybe that was the next step for him, right? right. that's that's those are the elements that we don't know that's that's what I'm talking about. maybe that was the next step for him,
2: yeah yeah, which which goes back to our original point of of the importance of of being open to talking about these things and open to other people's perspectives on these kinds of things. and and yeah, it's man there there's so many different takes. And I think the issue is when we get so hard line on, this is the one right way to do it. And if you don't do it the way I do it, or look at it the way I look at it, then you're an idiot. And I, you know, I'm going to lambast you. That's, I think, where we get into trouble. Um, But, but man, we've been talking about all sorts of these, these deeper parts of hunting. I'd be, I, I'd have some angry listeners if I didn't at least ask you about the, the more surface level aspects of hunting too, being your deer hunting this year. I know you've been doing a little more deer hunting, Um, recently I have, and I want to know how that's been going for you, but real quick, before we get to that, we need to pause for a word from our sponsors of this episode, redneck blinds and redneck blinds is offering a few special deals this month for wired hunt listeners. But first I recently spoke with bill Winky of Midwest whitetail about how he's been having success with these blinds in particular, how he used one of these to kill a buck this year. He called lefty. And I wanted to share that with you.
1: One of the things that I've had the most success with over the years is is hunting uh, cornfields right after the farmer combines those and that can be really challenging uh, because the deer come from all different directions so it's pretty tough to hunt those spots from a tree stand uh, but they're so attractive that you want to find some way to hunt it. Um, You know you, you get the weird wind directions that may not coincide with the day that you want to be in there and and uh, that sort of thing, so what I've started doing now is putting these redneck blinds on trailers and pulling them into the fields while the farmer is pulling out with the combine. So basically, he's finishing up while I'm pulling in, and the deer have gotten so used to farm equipment over the years in the Midwest that it's no big deal to them. I mean a a, a wagon sitting in a field or something like that is nothing to a deer. So they don't know that that blind is anything other than a piece of farm equipment. So uh, that's what I did on this hunt uh, for this buck that I had nicknamed Lefty. Uh, it was the same day that the farmer combined it, as I drove, I drove the wagon or the trailer in there uh, with the blind on it and set it up. Uh, two days later, I was finally able to get back there and hunt that spot. And uh, the buck came out at 30 yards, 15 minutes left in legal shooting time. Never even looked at the blind. Uh, he stepped out of the brush and really kind of caught us by surprise. I mean, we were about ready to pack up and leave because we just felt like it was just one of those nights, you know, where nothing was gonna show up. And the only deer that came out was the buck that I was hunting. Uh, so it was kind of a, kind of a cool little uh, um, twist to that hunt. But the point is, he paid absolutely no attention to that blind and had only been there for two days. Uh, to him, it was a piece of farm equipment. And having the flexibility to be able to do that um, is super important. And the redneck blinds, I mean, are are overall, they're great blinds to hunt out of because you have so many shooting window options. So when you move into a field like that, uh, you know, you've got so many different places where you can shoot. And the deer aren't always going to cooperate and, and, you know, walk right past the front of the blind. So it's nice to have all the corner windows that you can swing open real quick and easy and and get shots wherever you need them. Um, The other thing, too, is like I said, the wind direction can be pretty variable for you. And uh, these blinds are really good because you can... You can shut all the windows, um, and and that bottles your scent up inside. And then at the last second, you can swing one of the corner windows open and make your shot. So that's kind of the the quick summary of how that hunt was successful for that buck named Lefty. But we've done it on many other deer, too, under almost identical situations.
2: So if you are interested in trying something out from Redneck Blinds, through the end of the year, you can use the promo code WIRED, that's W-I-R-E-D, to get $100 off one of their hay bale blinds, $50 off one of their soft-sided blinds, $20 off one of their very comfortable hunting chairs, or $20 off one of their T-Post feeders. So again, at checkout, use promo code WIRED to get $100 off the bale blind, $50 off the soft-sided, or $20 off their chair or T-Post feeder. You can go to redneckblinds.com to see all of those. And now back to the show. And Donnie was just about to tell us about how his recent whitetail hunts have been going.
4: Uh, it's, it's been going. I mean, uh, the that, the conversation that I just told you about that I had with Kyle where I said, oh, that would be fantastic to uh, take a step back from show cameras, take a step back from all the gadgets with you either on the ground or in the tree and, and just, you know, a good bow, good pair of binoculars, good set of wool, and just enjoy your time in the tree or on the ground, wherever it may be. Um, That stemmed from my deer hunting in North Dakota this year, because I basically, quote unquote, I don't even like to say it this way, but I basically know of all the bucks that live on this ranch, right? I've gotten all of their pictures a thousand times. And Um, and through that process, I know who is the oldest, not the biggest, the oldest. Um, and so I started fixating on this deer this year that I call beefcake and I call him beefcake because, um, he just has a massive body. He has, you know, not, not, nothing to write home about for antlers. So he, he would probably score. If you're a score guy, he'd probably net in the upper 130s as an eight-pointer. Maybe if he's bigger than I think, he might net in the low 140s as an eight-pointer. Um, but his body was just so huge, and he's so tough. I've watched him chase a couple of other big bucks off of does and, and fight and win. And so I was just like, you know, he just I just liked who he was and and knew he would be difficult to hunt, so I picked him. But in inadvertently, I ended up passing every other buck that lives on the ranch. I saw them all. There's only one other one that I, I didn't have a chance to shoot. And, um, and I saw him twice. He just was too far away. Uh, and that was a, that was a deer who I know is five and a half years old And I, and selfishly I wanted to see when he's six and a half years old. But to answer your question, like I went out to North Dakota early in September, uh, just to kind of scout. And I knew I was going to have access to this ranch for the rut. So I didn't want to kill a deer early, even though it was deer season. I just wanted to watch them, check everyone out, kind of lo- learn their behaviors and really start to gain this connection with them just personally. And uh, and I went out there and did that and it was incredible. Then I went back during the rut, like two weeks to do it. The first 10 days of the two weeks were somewhere in between 60 and 70 degrees during daytime highs. So the mornings were non-existent I never barely saw a deer in the morning in fact I was seeing all of my movement much throughout the rut uh, the first two weeks I was there November 5th through the 20th and so November 5th 6th 7th 8th 9th 10th 11th I was seeing almost all of my movement between 10 a.m. and noon and then I wouldn't see anything essentially in the morning or in the evening there was just a movement in the middle of the day and I came very, very close to killing Beefcake. Um, I set up a, I set up, and this is this is kind of the cool part about doing your homework. And and um, I talk a lot with Mark Dury. I know you guys have interviewed Mark before, yeah, talked yeah. with Mark before. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mark's a, a a good friend of mine, um, and he's the one I go to for advice because I think he. Is the greatest deer hunter in the world, and and uh, you know him or him or Lee Lachowski or whatever, both friends of mine, both a um, hundred times better deer hunters than I will ever be. And so I talk to Mark often when I'm stumped or when I need some reassurance. And and um, and so I I ended up kind of doing a Mark-like setup. I set up a stand on the south side of this woodlot, and I thought, okay, if we have a Northwest wind, um, beefcake, I've watched him here before from way up on the, in the Hills, I've watched him skirt this edge. And I think he, you know, this is all in my head. I think he's scent checking this whole bedding area for does, And then he does this big loop crosses the river, it goes around with this whole big other loop. And then, and I, I'm, I'm judging this off of my actual visual sightings from the Hill using my, my binos and, spotting scope and also my trail cameras right because then i'm like okay i lost sight of him here and then i got a picture of him here at noon you know so i'm starting to put this stuff together yeah well so he came down the trail just like the doctor ordered perfect william altman my photographer saw him first and he's like hey donnie beefcake's coming right here perfect just like we want and he was already at like 30 yards when we first saw him because he kind of has to come through this little s curve so he just turned to me and said hey beefcake right here just you know exactly like we wanted and i grab my boat. Isn't, isn't that even funny my sentence structure there exactly how we wanted it. It's so ridiculous <laughs> and so i i spin around and i work myself around and uh he's coming i arrange everything the wind is perfect and um there must just have been a little swirl right the wind is just like uh hunters sometimes i think aren't wrapping their heads around this but air is just like water so it's very fluid and so there's little eddies and little currents here and there. And so as much as we like to think we have our wind right at the base of our tree or in a little ravine, um, it might not be perfect. And so he just came and at th- he needed to take 13 more steps to be in my shooting light. He just stopped, stayed very still for five seconds, turned around in his tracks, had his tail tucked between his legs, and he walked out of there with absolute purpose. And I loved, hated watching him walk away, loved watching how he walked away. He just walked away angry. He was upset (laughs) that something had disrupted his path. I could see his muscles were all flexed. And as he walked away, this was really cool for me. He kept his one ear, he kept his left ear, um, facing like quartering back over his body to catch anything that might be off his left side. He kept his right ear tucked straight back to see if something was directly on his tail. So he was protecting his left side quarter and his straight back. And then as he walked and as he started to go through that S curve, he pulled his left ear in um, and, and quartered his right ear out to do just the opposite because he was going to be turning to that blind side and, And of course I didn't notice any of this until I watched it frame by frame um, from the camera afterwards, but uh, I was just breathtaking to see him. And, and when he walked away, you know, there's, I didn't curse it or curse the experience at all. I just thought, you know, that son of a gun gets to be a deer for another day and (laughs) (laughs) excuse me. And he gets to enjoy, you know, he gets to enjoy the stars tonight. And, and you know, he just gets to enjoy being him a little bit more and, and, uh, you know, he got me, he, he, he just had my number that day. So beyond that, after that, it just went downhill. It just, I started getting, this is embarrassing to admit, but I just started getting frustrated. And um, I literally would sit in spot A, he'd show up in spot B. I'd show up, at, I'd sit spot B, he'd show up at spot A. Um, so then I'd show up, I'd sit spot B, like three days in a row, because so I was like he's toggling back and forth, so I'm gonna sit spot B three days in a row and he'll he'll make an appearance. and then um, and then he didn't show up at all anywhere. just completely disappeared. Obviously, uh-huh. obviously got with a doe, right. So then I'm sitting there with only a couple of days left and I'm like, oh, he's gone. he's 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 hunkered off with a little Susie Q. Uh I guess, today I'm gonna to hunt spot A. So I hunt spot A, shows up at spot B, out of the blue. <laughs> So then the last day I'm like, oh, I'm going to hunt spot B, showed up at
2: spot A, and I came home. That's a mature buck, right? Gosh. It's hard to... Yeah,
4: he's seven. He's seven years old.
2: Wow. They, yeah. uh, they, they've they they got a way of avoiding the script. They definitely... And, and that's why we do it, though,
4: right?
3: Yeah. I mean, that is why yeah. we do it.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I could have shot everyone else other than the, this other deer that um, William named Roger. Don't ask me why I named Roger. He just did one day and it's stuck. And, and, uh, and yeah, it just is what it is. You know, it just, I could have shot every other deer there. And that's, that's where I kind of thought, like, if I didn't have a trail camera, if I didn't spend so much time watching the deer, which I don't regret, I would always, even if I got rid of all my trail cameras, um, I would still glass my face off because it's my absolute favorite thing to do. But I'll be honest with you. I use, I use Reconyx cameras when I can afford them. I have some other um, branded cameras also, but I, I buy Reconyx when I can afford them. Uh, and you know, when I go pick up that little card and I watch the video, because I've been putting them on video a lot, and I see the video, it's just like not only do you get information, you just get to see how they move how they interact with each other and are they bullying each other? You know, is there a fight? Are they dog and a doe? You know, how are they going under this fence over this fence? I just, I'm just, I love it. I love watching them.
2: Fascinating animals. So, okay. So what scenario do you think you enjoy more? Would it be the scenario where you go to a brand new property and you, you know, nothing and it's just pure surprise and happenstance and you shoot something, um, or the scenario where you do know everything, you've managed it, you've scouted, you know what's out there. You have one deer in your mind. I mean, it's interesting because there's a certain level of unique amount of um, satisfaction that you can get out of either or. Um, I don't even know which I mm-hmm. enjoy more because I've done both now, and there's something really cool and special about both different scenarios.
4: Yeah, and I I, I don't know either. In fact, I'm I'm leaving. Um, I leave on Tuesday to go to Illinois for a week. And I'm hunting a property that I know nothing about. Uh, I'm going there for a fundraiser to uh, essentially, ten guys are going in to hunt this place, and a lot of the money, a lot of the proceeds from us paying to the hunt there go to this uh, group of special needs children.
1: <laughs> and,
4: um, and And so I know nothing about the property. I don't want to know anything about the property. Uh, like the guy that runs the property has messaged me a couple times saying, oh, let me send you some trail photos. And I said, don't don't send me any trail photos. I don't even care what's there. I'm just coming. There's, I'm not hunting with a camera. I'm just coming to hunt. And the first mature buck that walks past me is getting an arrow. And until that happens, or if it does happen at all, I'll just shoot my doe or does. I don't know what's legal this year in Illinois. But I'll either shoot a mature doe or I'll shoot mature does. Until I get an opportunity at a, a five-year-old or plus older buck, and if I don't, who cares? If I do, super. And the first one that comes by is getting it. I don't care if he's got pictures of a 200-inch double drop time kicker's stickers. I don't <laughs> care. I don't want to know. Uh, the first big boy that walks past me is getting an arrow.
2: Yeah, yeah. There is something kind and of. And I cool. don't know which
4: one. I, I honestly don't know. I, I'm just like you. I could. I've done both. I don't. I don't know. I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's there's something. Yeah, I don't know either. There's something cool about the idea of you just never knowing what might pop out because I think a sense of mystery has been lost a little bit when we have these hyper managed properties, um, which is so cool. I mean, like we've been talking about, but there's a little bit of something that that you lose, maybe a little bit. So I don't know. Um, what? Yes. Yes. What, uh, go ahead. I was just gonna. I was gonna kind of pivot a little bit. Um, I was just curious. What do you think you learned from that 2-week stint in North Dakota and having those close encounters? Um is there anything you th- and I think for a lot of us every year at least for me I kind of sit back and look at the season and say what what big new thing did I kind of take away from this? What did you take away from your from your 2 weeks there?
4: Um
2: Well, this <laughs> is this is
4: obvious, but there is nothing that fools their sense, sense of smell, nothing, period, end of story, nothing. There isn't a product, there isn't a machine, there isn't a spray, there isn't a wash, there isn't anything that can, I, I've done it all, I've attempted it all, it's, I don't believe in any of it. So um, that, that in and of itself was yet another learning experience, um, to, to have happened to me. Um, I'm not a gadget guy at all, but I know, um, I know um, I've used, um, have you guys ever used Ozonix machines? Yes. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> and I've used Ozonix in the past and um, I know Ozonix does exactly what they say it does. And um, if you use Ozonix in a ground blind, <coughs>
1: excuse
4: me, um, i think it is terribly effective um but uh, uh, you know I, we used a couple of units in the tree stand there this year for the first time ever and um when the wind was bad the wind was bad just the way it was like no, nothing saved us and so i, I can I, I seem to continue to learn that exact same um circumstances that you, you just can't beat their nose when when the wind is in their favor and um, so that's one. Number two is even though I've been on this property for 14 years, um, I felt like I should have scout. I, this year I poked around in new areas more than I ever have before. And I really wish I would have made it out to this property in the spring and scouted it just a little bit more in, in finding out. Uh, different travel corridors and different bedrooms because I think I could have been a better deer hunter in the fall had I done my homework in the early spring before green up. And uh, and I, I just felt like I was a tiny bit out of position on a few things. And I, I really feel like now, having spent two weeks there, I could have dialed things in a little bit more had I looked around a little bit more. But, um, you know, that's basically it. It's, it's, I still, I still, and, and I relied too heavily. Um, this is the other thing that I learned in this, I don't know if this equates to everyone or not, but I, I, I just learned again that I, I relied too heavily on cameras. You know what I mean? Just, just kind of like what we're talking about. I relied too much on that information and not just being present. And I ended up chasing my tail and then just rather than sitting back and looking at the conditions and looking at what might be going on this present day oftentimes i used old information and and thus was always just a little bit behind whereas if i would have if i didn't have that old information and i would have sat back and just analyzed things face value i just wonder if if um, if i would have been uh, had had another opportunity, or would have had a different experience, uh, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, do you ever find yourself? It sounds like maybe you do, where you, you find yourself in this internal battle between like a gut instinct and then like overthinking or you know, like overanalyzing the situation based on all the data. I find myself in a constant battle between like what all this we stuff talk about tells that me. a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's a constant chess match, but sometimes I feel like we go too far.
4: Yeah, and that's 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 what I'm talking about. I wonder I wonder if um I wonder if we just if if it's just too much information. Like for instance, um, Mark Drury, genius deer hunter, what has made Mark a genius isn't that he goes out in the yard and grabs a handful of dirt on a September 12th morning and toss it in the air and says, you know, and has this connection where he says, yes, hunt the acorn stand. I really feel like, you know, no, that's not it at all. The the reason Mark is a fantastic deer hunter and some people say, Oh, it's because he has these great properties. No, it's not. The reason he's a fantastic deer hunter is because he has taken data that he knows he has used trail cameras not in the manner that we're talking, but he has then since went back and looked at variables that are changing to cause such behavior, whether it be a doe, a young buck, or a mature buck. And in doing that, in organizing these findings, he's been able to see trends to where now I know some people think like, you know, he's he's able to kind of you know, make, make guesses or decisions on where a deer is going to move that are kind of almost hauntingly accurate. But all he's doing is he has a really great set of clean data, uh, either in his office or in his brain, probably both where he extrapolates, um, the best laid plan over a huge amount of area, a huge amount of data, rather, I'm sorry. Um, whereas like, for instance, what I was doing in North Dakota, I was looking at a single data set. I was looking at oh my God, Mark came down here this morning at 9 a.m. and got coffee. I'm going to sit here and kill Mark tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah. when he goes to get the coffee. But yeah. but you only freaking get coffee on Wednesday. And right. it's Thursday, and I'm sitting there going, oh, 9 o'clock, where's Mark? You know, And whereas, whereas, whereas Mark Drury has looked at these, he, he just has more data that he's extra, extrapolated from. And that's, you know, that's uh, that was the pitfall that I fell into this year. That, I just think that we second guess ourselves. We sit there and go stand A or stand B or ground blind A or B or, or, you know, even guys that, even guys that <laughs> spawn stock hunt, you know, I, I do a lot of spawn stock hunt. Even those guys, you know, you get up in the morning, you're looking for sheep. Oh, did we go down drainage A or did we go down drainage B? Last year I saw a couple of good rams in drainage A, uh, but I've never even really looked down drainage B. Which one do you want to go down tonight, today? Uh, I, you know, you start to, you can talk yourself into a circle. Yeah.
2: That is the truth. The, the analysis and the data and all that stuff, it's fascinating and I, and I love it and I obsess over it, but sometimes, yeah, it can definitely mm-hmm. get you uh, chasing your tail too. I want, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to jump back to something you said a while ago, totally off topic here, Ooh. but um,
4: okay. hopefully I didn't
2: offend you. No, no, no. <laughs> not at all. Um, you told, you mentioned that your buddy says that you read too many books and watch too many movies that Mm -hmm. maybe influenced why you approach hunting the way you do or, or something along those lines. What, what kind of stuff Mm -hmm. do you read? What kind Mm -hmm. of stuff do you watch?
4: Um, uh, lots of different stuff. I don't watch much. Um, I don't even really have TV at my house. I actually have, uh, I actually have rabbit ears at my house on my TV. Um, yeah, so um, I do take some time to watch football a little bit here and there. I do like football, but yeah, like like I don't have the outdoor channel or sportsman's channel or any of that stuff. I don't watch any hunting. Mark, uh, Drury sends me his films, and uh, I sit down and watch those and and uh, so I watch that stuff in regards to hunting. But it's in regards to reading, like right now, I'm reading two books. I'm reading uh, they're actually right here in my office. I'm rereading for probably the fourth or fifth time. Uh a Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. You guys familiar Excellent. with
2: the book? Excellent book.
4: Yep. I think uh I, I, I think literally all hunters should be required to read this book in hunter safety or do, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you prove somebody read a book, take a test on it, <laughs> write a book report. I don't know, but I think all hunters, uh fishermen, anyone that wants to spend their time outdoors and engage in, in wild areas and wildlife, I think need to read this book. Like I said, I, I read this thing constantly. Uh, it's, I, I carry this book with me even on sheep hunts. That's That tells you how much I actually love that book. And I'm reading a book right now called Wild Ones. Uh, and, and it says a sometimes dismaying, weirdly reassuring story about looking at people looking at animals in America. Huh.
2: I feel like By I saw that in the bookstore. John
4: Morellum. Uh, Maybe there's a polar bear on the cover. It's in New York Times, 100 Notable Books, New York Times Book Review. Yep. So I'm reading this because uh, this – I say so many things that I think hunters are going to take offense to. But so I'm reading this. I had a conversation with a guy this year that wants me to go – he wants me – he wants to book a polar bear hunt for me. He wants me to book a polar bear hunt through him. And I said, "I, I don't know. Uh, how I feel about polar bear hunting. I said, I would love to go polar bear hunting. I would love to see a polar bear. I would love to see the wilderness that that polar bear calls home. I just don't know much about what's going on with the polar bear. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I don't know. You hear from different news outlets that their habitat and their numbers could possibly be threatened. And he goes, oh, that's hogwash. I said, well, it very well... Could be very well. Could be, and uh, he said, I, "I went on a polar bear hunt last year and I saw eight bears." And I was like, "It made me chuckle because I was like, okay, great, you right. saw eight bears." Devil's advocate, what if you saw the only eight bears in five hundred thousand square miles? I have no idea if you did or didn't. I'm just saying, what if for some reason there was a a souland heat and you saw all eight bears that live in that entire area? Whatever. Yeah. So I just said, you know, all I said to him was, "If you talk to hunters." There's tons of polar bears. If you talk to biologists that are studying the polar bear, um, the data is inconclusive, I think, probably right now. And if you talk to quote-unquote environmentalists, the polar bear are incredibly threatened, and we may see them extinct or extirpated, if you will, in our lifetime. And so I don't know if any of that is true, but I saw the polar bear on the cover of this book. I was actually at Discovery Channel uh, speaking to a group when I saw this, uh, in, in Manhattan, New York. And I saw this book and I just thought, huh, that's quite interesting. So I thought I, that title the sometimes just being weirdly reassuring story about looking at people, looking at animals in America <laughs> caught my eye. So I just started reading it. So, um, those are the two things I'm reading right now. And, um, and there's a host of other things. I also read, uh, a lot of older books too, from, you know, like Jack O'Connor and, and those boys because they it inspires me like Fred Bear it just inspires me that these guys went out and hunted, you know, their big expeditions. They went out not knowing really where they were going or what they wanted to accomplish, but they went out to seek adventure and to find a story and 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 they came back with fantastic stories and memories and it's really inspiring to me. I wish I was born in a different era. I wasn't, but I think if I can still if, I think if I can still find a story worth telling, I think hopefully we tell it in, in such a manner that people will still want us to keep bringing them films.
2: Yeah. I uh, I feel the same way. I, I read a lot about the 1800s, and I'm just fascinated with mm-hmm. that time period. And just I'm always wondering what it would have been like to come over a hill and see a herd of a 500,000 buffalo or to, to mm-hmm. be on the Great Plains and to have a grizzly walking along a riverbank you know, in Nebraska, um, mm-hmm. or all these different things. Like you, like you said, there's, um, I don't know, there's some fascinating things that have been uh, running around and, and happening in this, on this continent. And, uh, hopefully we as hunters mm-hmm. can maybe contribute to, to keeping some of these wild places and animals around longer for us to keep creating some of those stories.
4: Yeah. And honestly, that's so, so that's kind of the appreciation, right? Mark, that's like, what if this is what if this is the Wild West right now? What if, what if on your deathbed or your son's deathbed or daughter's deathbed, what if you get to say, yeah, we used to get this. We used to pack our bags, uh, pack our bows and our guns, and we used to. Your grandpa and I, we used to hop on an airplane. We'd fly up to, uh, you know, Whitehorse in the Yukon. And from there, we'd hop on a little float plane, we'd fly into a lake, we'd climb up in the mountains, and and we'd hunt doll sheep. Can you believe that? Like, what if this is the Wild West for your children? What if, this is really silly to think about, but what if your children are eating, you know, canned goop meal replacement stuff? Because literally, we have eaten ourselves out of house and home, and everything is a tarmac, or everything is covered in concrete or tar, and really, the wild places have have gone away. What if, you know? So that, you know, try and even though we're not in the 1800s right now, I'm the same as you. I I look at those days longingly or I read about those days longingly. But, you know, what if right now is our wild west?
2: Yeah, I hope not. I hope we can hold on to some of these places. I and, but I know what you're saying. I uh, that stuff and we like
4: keep cranking our population.
2: Yeah, I sure do. I've been in a weird, and I don't want to take us in a weird direction, but I've been in a weird kind of (laughs) funk the last few weeks where, like, I just haven't been interested in writing about how to kill deer or talking about, like, tactics or, you know, all the stuff that I usually do on this podcast and on my website. I'm usually, it's usually Mm -hmm. strategy focused and all that kind of stuff. I can't stop thinking, and I don't know, my mind is completely consumed with the future of this country and continent and like the wildlife and wild places like I'm just becoming so I don't know if this stuff I love so much I feel like there's so many forces mm-hmm. against it there's so many different mm-hmm. people and things and just forces of, of civilization and stuff that are just chipping away at it chipping away at it chipping away at it and it has been for a long yep. time and it's just getting so much stronger every day and I'm just like more and more yep. feeling like I need I want to do something. I want to I just somehow want to feel like I'm somehow keeping that from happening or contributing and and uh it's just it's all I can think about. It's all I can read about. It's all I can like I don't know. I just uh I've just become more and more and I think I think many of us you just want to somehow give back to this thing that has given us so much. Um i
4: mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I'm the exact same Love way. Me. And I don't I don't even get I don't even get consumed with the tactics and the strategies and I, I try not to anyway. I mean, obviously I, I do my very best to be successful, but I'm um, much more want to engage in the experience and I'm much more want to be present in, in, in the wild places than, than anything else.
3: Yeah.
2: What were you going to say, Dan? I just said it's, it's levels. I
3: mean, it's just for me, <laughs> I have goals in the whitetail woods, but for, for Turkey, man, I've killed a hunt. I've killed 50 Tom turkeys. It feels like, and I don't even care if I kill another Tom Turkey in my life, but I do want to take my buddies out who have never hunted before and introduce them into hunting through turkeys. Uh, I want to, I want to introduce my kids to Turkey hunting and, and get them. Last year was one of the best hunting seasons or hunting Turkey hunting seasons I ever had where, uh, the first day we got skunked. The second day I called in a bird for my wife, she killed one. The next morning I called in a bird for my stepdad and he killed one. I didn't even fill a tag, but it was it was so awesome to be there and to enjoy that with other people where, you know, mm-hmm. that's the level that I'm on right now and that's to try to, you know, be there for others if that makes sense.
2: Definitely. So true.
4: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's very rewarding. It's a, it's a. I do the exact same thing. I love it. In fact, I like when I find a. I have a hunting lease here in Wisconsin. When I find a mature buck, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I start calling my buddies that have never arrowed a big mature buck and trying my very best to put them on it because uh, it just, uh, I just absolutely love it. Love. Love seeing them shaking in their boots. Love. It's just incredible.
2: I'm not quite there yet that I'm sending my buddies to shoot the mature bucks on my farm, but hopefully <laughs> one day. <laughs> one day I'll get yeah, there. Yeah, no,
4: I, I, I hear you. But I, I, I kind of keep this uh, I keep this property to myself. And I actually, I think I'm going to start filming on it next year because it's, uh, it's 153 acres, and it's just your average little farm or average little hunting lease. And so I just kind of want to start filming on it to see what kind of crazy cool stuff we can capture and then just, you know, release some small shorts to show people like, yeah, this is, look what's in your backyard.
2: Is that, is that the farm that, uh, that Ben Harshine from Huntera was over helping you out with some stuff on?
4: Mm-hmm. Yep. Ben and I have done quite a bit of work on it and, um, and that's going to continue this year and, and, um, we haven't had a chance to film, uh, on it deer hunting this year, but, um, uh, but, it, you know, everything's just becoming more mature and uh, from the plants and uh, the cuts that we've done and, and the deer themselves, everything is just kind of uh, maturing. And so, you know, it'll be it'll be it'll be right for the for the experience when we finally get some time to spend out there.
2: Well, can you give us a really quick and then we're, we're running out of time here, but um, can you think, give us a quick rundown of what you guys did this year to try to improve the habitat there?
4: yeah, so it is it was um, a twenty seven acre field in the middle of the property. It kind of has a big u-shaped chunk of woods that goes all the way around it. Um, all of the woods, aside from some pine trees, all of the woods are late stage secondary growth, so a lot of maples, a lot of poplars, a lot of things that are um, twelve to eight inches around with this big field in the middle that was that did go back into um, rogue saw it, if you will, but a farmer came in three years ago and turned it into row crops, beans, and and corn, and so um, I leased the hunting rights three years ago. This year, I leased the full land rights and the hunting rights, so I took that 27-acre field, planted, uh, like, 15 acres of different species of warm season grasses, switch grasses, uh, different um, cultures and and, um, varieties, and then planted... Uh, some food uh, for the deer so they would have a late winter food source and um, and something that could hopefully keep them from starving to death throughout January, February, March. And then we actually went into the forest where some of these, you know, just the trees were kind of competing against each other, and just choking each other out and keeping everything just a really small diameter and really uh, we just did some small cuts, knocked the trees down, um, not so much a hinge cutting, but we did some hinge cutting, but more. We just dropped everything to the ground, broke it up, and dragged it away so that sunlight could get in there to create little pockets of true um, succession, right? Get get things like raspberries growing in there, get things, um, smaller, younger trees growing in there, and create these little thickets throughout these kind of monoculture or kind of, um, you know, lifeless woods, if you will and uh, and so that 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 was this year that was basically like phase 1
2: nice yeah saw so i think um, did you guys do like a short video or maybe ben did a short video about uh, some of the stuff you guys are doing and i think eric long's with you guys too is that right
4: yep yep eric long from uh, drumming log wildlife management he's a friend of uh, friend of ben's and of course a friend of mine now and and uh, so he's been coming out from ohio and we've been doing the work as a trio and it was really funny cuz last year i had a bunch of bucks on the property uh two really nice six-year-olds and several up-and-comers and And we did all this work this year and they're basically all gone oh no I don't know it was just kind of funny because we were all giggling about it and I don't it doesn't consume me at all I know I surmise what's going on you know there's just a little lag or maybe a bunch of them got shot I don't know but um I actually just went out there yesterday and did some scouting around and found uh, some really fantastic big buck signs. So I know there's some, there's a couple of boys that are hanging out there that I don't know of yet, but, uh, but yeah, it was just funny how we did all this work, most work we've ever done and is the least amount of bucks I'd ever seen, but I know there's, there's some lag there. And I know as we create it, you know, they'll really start to flourish there.
2: Yeah, that that is a really cool thing. Like you mentioned um, a little earlier, being able to improve the habitat and give back to a place like that, and then see the impact mm-hmm. it makes, see the deer using that cover and using that food, and mm-hmm. s- that that's pretty cool. It's very cool to see.
4: And you know what's cool? I, I I told Eric. I said, "Man, I've I've been on this property for three years now. I've never seen a snake, ever. <laughs> I've never seen a turtle crossing the field. Seen very few frogs. Never seen a snake." I said, I want to see these things when I'm coming out to spend time here at a hunt. And, uh, so I sent him several videos this year. Uh, I saw several snakes this year. <laughs> um, and I would, I would send him some videos of them in my hand or whatever. And then, um, I'd never really had seen any rough grouse out there before. And now when I go out there, almost every time I'm flushing four or five rough grouse in the woods or on the, or on the field edge. And, and, um, Yeah, just I'm just starting to see some different species of birds utilizing some of the the grains that I planted for the deer, and so it's cool. It's going to be really cool to see this thing kind of perpetuate away from a sterile farm field to actually having grasses um, and and food being available to them. So yeah,
2: that's awesome. Very cool to see.
4: Starting. Well, we've uh, yeah, yeah. baby
2: steps. That's that's where it's got to start. One step at a time. Well, we've used yeah. up a lot of your time, Donnie. Um, So I guess we should probably wrap it up. But uh, Dan, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to wrap things up with on your end?
3: No, man. Hey, thanks for coming on. I appreciate the conversation. It's always nice uh, talking to someone who who uh, loves adventure.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I really do. I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me and and uh, and have the conversation. And and um and I appreciate the. Openness. I know I have some uh, different views or extreme views of, of how we're doing things. So I, I appreciate the the openness and the candidness.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. we. Uh, I think uh, we see things very similarly. So it's nice to, to have someone to, to speak to about some of these things that uh, kind of, you know, gets, gets uh, some of the interesting things made from where we're coming from, too. But I guess with that said, Donnie, is there anything that you want to end on? Any final thoughts? any of these things we've, we've been chatting about that you want to leave with our, with our listeners to kind of wrap things up?
4: No, I just appreciate them taking the time to, to listen to it. And, and um, if they have any questions, reach out to me. And, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to releasing our next film. It's going to be here shortly. And uh, I think people really, really dig it. So definitely keep an eye out for it.
2: Yeah. So where can people go right now to pick up a copy of your past films or learn more?
4: Uh, Donnie Vinson.com or search Donnie Vinson on Facebook, Instagram, things like that.
2: Perfect. We'll make sure to link to all that. And um, and I definitely recommend if anyone listening right now, if you haven't seen any of his work, The Rivers Divide, Terra Nova, Who We Are, any of that kind of stuff, you really need to go check it out. Donnie, you're doing great work and, uh, and keep it up.
4: Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. And that will do it for us today. But... Before we go, a couple quick things. First, if you haven't yet left a rating or review of this podcast on iTunes, if you could just take a minute to do that, it would be hugely, hugely helpful. You just go over to iTunes. You choose how many stars you'd rate us. Leave a couple honest thoughts on what you think. And I take a look at those, and I really take that stuff to heart. So thank you in advance for letting us know what you think. Secondly, I want to throw back to something that Donnie mentioned earlier in our interview and encourage you all to pick up a copy of the Sand County Almanac. This is just a tremendous book. It's one of really the cornerstones of of what we do as hunters and conservationists, and I think it's one that all of us hunters should be reading. So check out the Sand County Almanac. And finally, we need to thank our partners who help keep this show on the air. So thank you to Sick Gear, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Yeti Coolers, Ozonics, Carbon Express maven optics and the whitetail institute of north america and of course thank you all for listening today i hope you enjoyed our conversation with donnie and i hope you'll stay
0: wired to hunt hey everybody knows weber grills i've been using weber grills my whole life and check it out they got a pellet grill the weber searwood pellet grill Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal,